in order to understand meaning to a group of people, you have to know something about where they're at today. For Hopi, this location is a high desert environment. Uh, we receive, you know, maybe 12 to 16 inches of moisture annually. We're agriculturalists. We're corn farmers by tradition, growing corn, beans, squash, and other you know types of crops. And we're dry farmers, meaning that for the most part, we don't irrigate. There's no perennial streams here at Hopi. We're relying on all the moisture that's stored in the soil itself. So moisture is a huge part of our necessity. It's something that we need to survive. We all know that. In terms of how that relates to who we are and where we are, you know, we're always on the lookout for that moisture coming to, you know, our dry land. And so seashells, you know, where do they come from? They come from large bodies of water. And so within Hopi, the metaphor of water is always a constant reminder. Seashells are part of that metaphor. They represent moisture coming from some great body of, of water out there coming to replenish our land. And it's like a silent prayer advocating that moisture come to this dry area. This is Mesa Verde Voices, a podcast connecting modern people to the people who lived around Mesa Verde hundreds of years ago. And I'm your host, Kayla Woodward. In this season, we're talking all about trade. And that voice you just heard was Lyle Belinqua. You may recognize him from a previous episode this season. I come from the Hopi tribe in northeastern Arizona. I'm a member of the Greasewood clan from the village of Bakavi on 3rd Mesa. And for the past 20 plus years, I've been working as an archaeologist here in the southwest. As Lyle mentioned, there's a long history of what's called dry farming in the Southwest, and that's to say farming with no irrigation. To hear more about how that's done, check out our episode, Corn is Life. Over the next three episodes, we're gonna be talking about three different items, all associated with something very precious in the desert, water. And all three of these items you can find incorporated into the lives of Mesa Verde descendants today. Seashells, feathers, and turquoise. And so these are some of, I just wanted to give you a visual. Um, If you look really close at these bangles, you can see that on the edges, they're actually decorated. If you look look at Mm. this one on the left, it has little incise marks where Mm -hmm. it would have been decorated. And those would have been worn just like bangles. So this is Bridget Ambler. If you've listened to the other episodes this season, you may remember her voice. Yeah, my name is Bridget Ambler, and I'm the Supervisory Museum Curator for Canyons of the Ancients Visitor Center and Museum. And just to recap a little bit here, when folks were living up at Mesa Verde and throughout the Four Corners, these people were very well connected. This area was actually part of a hemispheric trading network where people were connected all the way down into Central and South America, over in southeastern United States, and as far west over into California. And 
just like we're social today, right, and we adopt practices from other cultures, the same was true 1,200 years ago. For example, we find shells and abalone that come from the California coast. We find glycimerous shells. Those are really big clams, and those are coming from the Gulf of Mexico down by Puerto Penasco. So far, we've talked a lot about these trade routes extending as far as Mesa Verde and the Montezuma Valley. But the ancestral Pueblo people were also living even farther north and west, all the way up near the Abajo Mountains in present-day Utah and the city of Blanding. Today, you can find the Edge of the Cedars State Park Museum in Blanding. And this is where I went to chat with Jonathan Till. My name is Jonathan Till. I'm the curator of collections at the Edge of the Cedars State Park Museum. I'm also an archaeologist. We're on the western end of things. And so between here and Mesa Verde, we have the same basic kinds of architecture, same kinds of pottery, same kinds of stone tools, same kinds of settlement patterns, uh, the same kinds of traditions, at least in how they're represented in the stuff of people, starting about 2,000 years ago up until about 700 uh, years or so ago. So I joke with my friends over on Mesa Verde that really they're just the uh, eastern manifestations of the Cedar, Cedar Mesa tradition. We're all one big happy family here at that level. And so all throughout the Mesa Verde region, we find seashells being traded. The types of shells that were being traded run full spectrum of small to large. They vary in size and shape from acorn-sized shells to longer conical shells. Again, that's Hopi archaeologist Lyle Belinqua. Any kind of shell that, you know, you could go to an arts and crafts store now, I guarantee you those types of shells were being traded and moved around. The three most traded types of shells are small cone-shaped shells such as olivella. They're relatively tiny, individual conically shaped shells, which look like snails more or less. And then glycimerous shells. I always remember these by the way Bridget describes them. Those are really big clams. And the brightly colored iridescent abalone. Overall, these shells are used in a similar fashion, but each had a particular function. Some were mostly used for adornment, you know, wearing as jewelry or, you know, ceremonially. You know, the glycimerous shell, which is a large, like a clam shell, has the thickness and durability to be fashioned into bracelets or, you know, ankle bracelets or something like that. The um, glycimerous shells, basically what you do is you have really amazing cuts across the shell and you get multiple rings of that glycimerous then, which might be worn as bracelets. These would have been coming up from the California coast by way of the Hohokam people in southern Arizona. We know that folks down in Hohokam country or Tohono O'odham country down in southern Arizona, for example, that they have routes that go directly to the ocean or to the Sea of Cortez. The Sea of Cortez is also known as the Gulf of California. And then maybe folks from up here are trading or exchanging with those folks. The Hohokam folks were likely the ones creating these bracelets, cutting across the shells to get those multiple rings, and then trading them as manufactured items, not the raw materials, likely through large trading centers such as Wapaki, which is now a national monument in northern Arizona that you can visit today. And next we have those cone-shaped olivella shells. We see those fashioned into tinklers. Imagine these small cone-shaped shells tied onto a string, close enough together so that if the string is shaken, the shells cling together, like this.
the sounds that shells make when they're strung together and worn either ceremonially or just on a daily basis, the, the tinkling sound they make uh, is reminiscent of rain and things like that. So not only are shells being used because they come from areas with large bodies of water, such as the Gulf of Mexico and the Sea of Cortez, but they're being used because they sound like water when they clink together. And this is something that you can experience if you visit Hopi today. If you go to a home dance on Hopi, um, and what Lyle was saying is, you know, re- uh, resonates really well with me, you can hear the rain come in through the tinkling shells uh, and the people dancing and making that sound. And, then, and, and it picks up in volume as it gets closer. You, you realize that the storm is coming and these folks are acting that out. And you, you realize that you're in a theater. You know, it's a big honking theater. And these folks are bringing you into that, that world. They're introducing you to that world. And then the third most common type of shell found in the Mesa Verde region is abalone. We also uh, get the occasional blue-green flash of abalone. Abalone is also referred to as mother of pearl. And if we're getting technical, abalone is the creature that lives inside the shell, and mother of pearl is that shiny, multicolored, iridescent layer of the shell itself. And abalone is coming from the Pacific coast, as opposed to uh, those other kinds of shells, which you can get in the uh, Sea of Cortez there. Abalone is usually fashioned into pendants that could be strung onto a necklace. One particularly amazing example of this can be found on display in the museum at Edge of the Cedars. That cluster of shell that we've got. Um, one of my favorite objects in the whole museum is this necklace here, the so-called beetle leg necklace. It's just a stunning example of that blue-green color. The beetle legs themselves derive from an insect that's not immediately indigenous to this place. So it's coming from a little bit farther to the west, from what I understand. And then, of course, the, uh, the mother of pearl or the abalone shell pendant there as the centerpiece. Whew. You know, that, that comes from way far away, so likely the Pacific Ocean. This object here we know is uh, at least 2,000 years old, and it might be as much as 3,000, somewhere in there. And we'll have a picture of this beetle leg necklace on our Facebook and Instagram if you'd like to see it. It's truly incredible. Aside from the symbolism and metaphor of water associated with these shells, Lyle also says that they could be symbols for certain social groups. In some ways, it, it may also be a status symbol because 2,000, 1,000 years ago, seashells required a great deal of effort to acquire. Not everybody had access to that resource. And so, you know, maybe just like gold or platinum or a diamond, in today's standard, you know, it's a status symbol. It may have been associated with folks who had, I don't want to say they were elite, but maybe they had a greater Uh, responsibility. You know, they had a higher role within the social organization. And the use of shells still exists today in the Pueblos, Hopi, and Zuni. Like in the dances with the shell tinklers, and as a way to celebrate their history and ancestry. All these things are still being used. It's not relegated to prehistory. They're a self-identity kind of thing. You know, it's been a big part of, you know, our culture, you know, since prehistory. I think probably every Hopi family has their own collection of seashell ornaments, things that we use in ceremony. So that's that's some of the metaphors that we have when we incorporate, you know, seashells into 
our ceremonies into our daily wear is that metaphor of water associated with it. They still have that same use as our ancestors used them. They're just more easily attainable now. Mesa Verde Voices is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. It is created in collaboration with Mesa Verde National Park and is funded by the Mesa Verde Museum Association with a matching grant from the National Park Service. Special thanks to Robert Dobry, Cindy Cooperwriter, Bailey Springmeyer, and Tanachai Bruins for your help and research for this episode. And a huge thanks to Lyle Belenqua, Bridget Ambler, Jonathan Till, and Louis Garcia for sharing your stories with us. Our show is produced and edited by me, Kayla Woodward, with engineering help from Robert Woodward. Our music is by David Morella. If you'd like to see some examples of the seashells found throughout the Mesa Verde region, including that beetle-like necklace, you can check us out on Instagram or Facebook, or check out Edge of the Cedars State Park Museum on Facebook, and visit our website, mesaverdevoices.org. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening.